My name's Tom and I'm a first year commerce student and today we'll be reading from Romans 14 verse 1 to Romans 15 verse 13. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear the failings with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, 
so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, well, good day, everyone. Great to be joining you for a public meeting over Facebook Live as we continue in our series, Working Through the Book of Romans. Let me encourage you guys to be active in the comments section. Um, there's also going to be a Q&A over Zoom at the end, so feel free to write down any questions you've got as we go along, and I'll have my best shot at answering them afterwards. And if you have a Bible in front of you, that's going to be helpful as well. Now, just looking at the comments feed, I see Ben's asking if this is actually live, and, and yep, this is, so you guys are getting the real deal here. Now, let's jump in. Now, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we've been working our way through the back end of Romans. Now, Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the first century AD to a bunch of Christians living in the city of Rome, the bustling capital of the Roman Empire. And Paul spends most of the first part of the letter explaining the gospel, the good news of how through Jesus' death and resurrection, God has had mercy on us and made a way for us to be saved. And then in the second half of the letter, he gets intensely practical about the implications of the gospel on the ground in everyday life. He talks about how we're to live our whole lives in view of God's mercy to offer our whole bodies as living sacrifices, and what that actually looks like. So two weeks ago in Romans 12, we looked at how the gospel shapes how we treat other Christians and our enemies. Then last week, we looked at Romans 13 and how the gospel shapes our attitude towards the government. It wasn't controversial at all. And today, we're looking at Romans 14, which shows us how the gospel impacts what we do when Christians disagree over matters of conscience. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you'll know this is a real issue. Say my non-Christian mates invite me to a party or to go clubbing with them. As a Christian, should I go? On the one hand, a Christian might say, look, I know there's going to be a lot of temptation for me, for the drinking, the hookup culture. I just wouldn't feel comfortable going. But on the other hand, a different Christian might say, yeah, look, there's going to be temptation, but, but I think I can avoid that. And to try be a witness to my friends about how to live differently, I actually think I, I do want to go. Now those are two very different approaches. One would go, the other wouldn't. So which is right? Imagine you're hanging out with a bunch of Christian mates and you're deciding what movie to watch. Most of the group want to watch a, a certain movie, but a few of the people in the group don't feel comfortable because it's got a lot of violence and gore in it. Now, uh, some, including yourself, might argue that it's actually not sinful to watch violence and that we have freedom in Christ to watch that kind of thing. 
But the others just have this feeling in their conscience that it would be wrong for them to watch it. What do you do? How do we respond when we're faced with disagreements over matters of conscience? Well, Romans 14 has a wealth of wisdom for us here. So let's dive right in. Now to start off, before we can understand the solution this passage gives, we've first got to understand and get our heads around the problems that the Romans were actually facing. So our first question is, what is the problem that Romans 14 is addressing? Well, have a look in your Bibles with me at Romans 14, verses 1 to 3. It says, Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Now, at first when we read this, we might be thinking, whoa, these guys are fighting over eating vegetables? Uh, you can picture the vegans on one side of the church hall and the ketos on the other. And, and man, these guys were not getting along at the church luncheon. You know, one group is eating kale and the other group is eating bacon. Uh, are these guys really fighting over whether it's okay to only eat vegetables versus eating meat? Well, no, not exactly. They're, they're not arguing about veganism. There's a much deeper issue here. Because as we read on, we see that this food issue is actually connected to something else. So have a look in your Bibles with me at verses 5 to 6. It says, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever meets does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains who doesn't eat meat, does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. Now here we see it's not just a food issue, it's also an issue of considering one day more sacred than the others, which sounds a lot like he's referring to the Sabbath. You see, Jews consider Saturday to be a sacred day called the Sabbath, one day out of the week that is set apart as holy. And that clues us in to think that maybe the issue here is related to disagreements over the Old Testament law. Because you see, the Jewish law, the Old Testament, not only called people to set apart the Sabbath, the seventh day, as more sacred than the others, but also put restrictions on the kind of meat they could eat. Now, to be clear, the Jewish law doesn't ban all meat, only some kinds. But at times throughout history, when God's people were living among non-Jews, called Gentiles, uh, they would sometimes abstain from eating any meat out of the fear that it might have been contaminated in the process of cooking or preparation. And you can see a clear example of this in Daniel chapter 1, where Daniel and his mates are, are captive in Babylon, and they ask to be given only vegetables so that they won't defile themselves with food considered unclean by the Jewish law. So when this passage talks about eating only vegetables, it's not talking about being a vegan. It's talking about the Jewish food laws. And all of this indicates that the quarrel in the Roman church, the issue that they were disagreeing on, was the role of the Old Testament law in the Christian life. One group, called the Strong, in chapter 15, verse 1, believed that as followers of Jesus, they were now free from the Old Testament law and didn't have to worry about it anymore. Now the other group, called the Weak in Faith, in 14, verse 1, were still followers of Jesus. They still put their faith in him alone, that they weren't legalists. 
But because they had grown up regarding the Sabbath as more sacred than other days and avoiding certain foods, well, they'd become so accustomed to that. Eating pork or working on the Sabbath just felt wrong to them. It was ingrained not to do those things. And so out of a desire to honour God and be faithful to Jesus, they wanted to keep abstaining from those things. So there's the disagreement between the two groups. But this disagreement itself wasn't itself the problem. The problem was the way they were treating each other because of this disagreement. Have a look in your Bibles with me at 14 verse 3. It says, The one who eats everything, the strong, must not treat with contempt the one who does not eat meat. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. Or similarly, 14 verse 10 says, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? So it seems the strong group was showing contempt to those who wanted to keep the Sabbath and food laws. You can imagine them saying, Come on guys, don't you realize that we're free in Christ to do these things? Come on, toughen up. You have such a weak faith. In response, the so-called weak were, were judging them. So you guys are so lax. You're clearly not as serious about following Jesus as we are. So there's the problem. They were disagreeing over matters of conscience. And it was causing division among them. That's the problem. But what's the solution? Well, Paul gives them two key exhortations in this passage. Both of them grounded in the gospel that show them, and us, exactly how to navigate these kind of tricky situations. So let's have a look at them together. First up, here's the first exhortation. Jesus died for us, so we now live for him. Or to expand that, because Jesus has died for our sins and been raised to new life for us, he is now our Lord. We belong to him. And because of that, we now live for him. Everything we do should be to honour Jesus and please him. And because of that, if a fellow brother or sister chooses to abstain from something out of a desire to honour Jesus, then we shouldn't look down on them because of that. So that's the first big point. Have a look in your Bibles with me where we see this in verses 6 to 9. And just note as we read that when it talks about doing something to the Lord, that phrase comes up a lot, or for the Lord, it's talking about doing something with the motivation to please him or honor him. So let's read from verse 6. It says, Whoever regards one day as special, like the Sabbath, does so to the Lord to honor him. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So you see, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, if you have put your trust in Jesus, you now belong to him. Every single thing in your life, in fact, even your death, should now be motivated by a desire to honour him. So Paul is pointing out a real irony here. Because you see, the so-called strong Christians were looking down on the weak because they didn't have as full a grasp of the gospel and its implications. The weak Christians didn't realize we're now free from the law and we're now free in Christ to eat any kind of meat. But actually, Paul is pointing out that the so-called strong Christians didn't grasp the implications of the gospel either. 
Because if they did, they wouldn't be showing contempt for those weaker Christians who are rightfully seeking to honour the Lord in everything they do. But the irony here is that while the strong Christians were looking down on the weak Christians because they supposedly didn't fully understand the implications of the gospel, Paul points out that by showing contempt for others, that actually the so-called strong Christians have failed to understand the implications of the gospel as well. Jesus died for us, so we now live for him. And it's therefore wrong to look down on a Christian brother or sister with a weaker conscience who is rightfully seeking to honour Jesus by abstaining from something. So let's think about how this applies in our modern context. Like the example from before, say my friends invite me to a party or to go clubbing with them, as a Christian, should I go? Now, some Christians might not feel comfortable going because of all the temptation that will be there. Other Christians might feel comfortable going because they think they can avoid the temptation and be a witness to their friends. That's a great opportunity. So which of them is right? Well, Romans 14 would say they both are. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. If one decides to go out of a desire to honour Jesus and be a witness to his friends, that's great. That's a good motivation. If someone else decides not to go out of a desire to honour Jesus, that's great too. That's an excellent motivation not to go. So actually, both are right. But what would be wrong is for the Christian who does go to the party to look down on the Christian who doesn't. Man, you've got such a weak faith. Don't you know we have freedom in Christ to do this? Toughen up, come on. No, Romans 14 says that is not on. And in the same way, it would be wrong for the Christian who doesn't go to judge the Christian who does. Man, they're clearly not as serious about following Jesus as I am. They're so worldly. No, that's not right either. Because Jesus has died and returned to life for us, each of us now belongs to him. And so it's right for us to seek to honour him with a clear conscience in everything we do and not cast judgment on each other when we make those decisions. So that's the first gospel-grounded exhortation in Romans 14. Jesus died for us, so we now live for him. And the second is this. Jesus lived for others, so we now live for others too. And this is key because you could just look at the first section and think, okay, I now live for Jesus. I live to please him and not other people. Therefore, what other people think doesn't matter. It's just between me and God. But that's not actually the full picture. Because part of pleasing Jesus is that we care about what other people think. Part of honouring Jesus is seeking the good of others. Have a look in your Bibles with me at verses 13 to 15 where we see this play out. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. So Paul is clear here. He comes down straightforwardly on this issue in verse 14. No food is unclean in itself. For a Christian, we are free from the Old Testament food laws 
because Jesus has fulfilled the law as part of our freedom in Christ. But he's also clear that if you exercise your freedom in a way that makes life difficult for your brother or sister in Christ, putting pressure on them to do something they would feel uncomfortable with, then you're no longer acting in love. He reinforces this again in verses 20 to 21. Have a look. It says, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So think about these Christians in Rome. The so-called strong knew that because Jesus had fulfilled the law, they were free to eat pork. And they were right. But it's possible to exercise that freedom in a way that is unloving to Christians with a weak conscience. You know, imagine someone who has grown up their whole life as a faithful Jew, following the Old Testament food laws that God had given them. They've now put their trust in Jesus as the Messiah, the Saviour of the Jewish people and of the whole world. But they've become so accustomed to thinking of pork as off-limits, they still just don't feel right about eating it. Now imagine they, uh, imagine they invite you and some other mates to hang out over lunch and you rock up with a double beef and bacon burger from Macca's and, and eat it right in front of them. Now, are you allowed to do that? Do you have freedom in Christ to eat bacon from the hallowed kitchen of Macca's? Yes, absolutely. But... Is that a loving thing to do in this situation? No, no, it's not. Now you might take a stand on this and say, no, I'm insisting on my rights. I am free in Christ to do this. And if you have a weak conscience, why should I pay the penalty for that? I shouldn't have to abstain from that apple-smoked, bacony goodness just because you don't want to eat it. And you have a pretty good case to argue that. Technically, you're right. But Paul is saying here in Romans 14 that if that's your attitude, you've missed the heart of Jesus. If that's your attitude, you clearly haven't grasped the gospel and its implications for how we now live. And this is challenging to us because we live in an extremely rights-focused culture. We're all about insisting on our liberties and freedoms and rights. You can see this happening in the coronavirus pandemic. But the more we grasp the gospel, the more it will shape us to be people who don't seek our own good and insist on our rights, but rather who seek the good of others. Who don't insist on our liberties, but are, are, are instead willing to lay them down willingly for others. Think, for example, about the topic of modesty. The Christian approach to modesty is so controversial in our culture because we're obsessed with our rights. I can dress however I want. Who cares what other people think? That's the rights-focused attitude of our culture. But a love-focused attitude emphasizes instead on the good of others. It says, sure, I'm allowed to dress this way, but will it be helpful for others? Or will it make it difficult for them? Will it cause them to stumble? As Christians shaped by the gospel, we follow the example of Christ, who did not seek to please himself but those around him, to build them up, even if it meant giving up his own rights. Have a look at chapter 15, verses 1 to 3, where we see how this exhortation is grounded in the gospel. 15, 1 to 3, it says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. 
for, so here's the grounding, the reason for why we should do this, for even Christ did not please himself. Because you see, Jesus lived his whole life not for his own good, but for the good of others. We see this climactically in his self-sacrificial death on the cross. But it's also the driving force in everything Jesus did throughout his life. Which means that we too, as followers of Jesus, the more we grasp the gospel and what Jesus has done for us, we'll want to do the same. Because Jesus lived for others, so we now live for others too. And this change of mindset has big implications in all kinds of situations. It means that if you're hanging out with a bunch of Christian mates and a few of you want to watch this new movie, but someone in the group doesn't feel comfortable with it because it's too violent or whatever else, then you should be cool with that. You say, okay, if you feel it would be more honouring to Jesus for you not to watch this movie, I respect that. Let's watch something else. You don't pressure them. You don't tease them or make fun of them for having weak faith or joke about the fact that, let's be honest, they were probably homeschooled. No, you willingly lay down your preferences for their good. Motivated by love. You see, as followers of Jesus in this world, there'll be lots of times where we find ourselves disagreeing over matters of conscience. But Romans 14 shows us how the gospel completely reshapes our attitude to these situations. Because Jesus died for us, we now live to honour him. So we don't look down on those who abstain from certain things out of a desire to please Jesus. And because Jesus lived for others, we now live for others too. We don't seek our own good or insist on our rights, but we go out of our way to do what's best for others. Now, this isn't easy, and it doesn't come naturally. But in view of God's mercy that he's shown us in Jesus, it's the only logical way to live. And the more we allow the gospel to sink deep into us, the more it will shape our mindset and shape our desires. So that like Jesus, we would be eager to do whatever it takes for the good of others. So let's pray now that God would be at work in us by his spirit to transform us by the renewing of our minds so that we might be more and more like Jesus. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Father, we thank you for the great freedom that you have given us in the gospel. Thank you that through Jesus' perfect life that he lived on our behalf, he fulfilled the law and all of its requirements. And through his death on the cross, he bore in his own body the full curse of the law, so that if we trust in him, we can be forgiven. And not only forgiven, uh, but given freedom to follow you, to love you, and to live for you, not under the law, but under grace. Father, we admit that so easily it comes naturally us to look to our own good rather than the good of others. Forgive us for this, Father. We can think of times where we've put ourselves uh, before others. Please, Father, by your Spirit, would you transform us from the inside out so that we wouldn't just lay down our rights for the good of others begrudgingly, but that we would do it willingly and lovingly so that we might see as many other people built up and strengthened in the faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, we'll see you guys afterwards over Zoom. The link will be in the comments for question time. Look forward to it.